Um, but I'm going to pray for us in a minute, but first I just wanted to review a little bit. So living in the pace of being known, our goal, remember, our goal for this time is yesterday we thought about a little bit is reflect on our speed, the pace of our own life, how present we are in our own life right now, um, how we feel about that, our struggle with that, um, our, our sense of place, physical place of being. Um, we thought about that. Um, we'll continue to think about that. We really thought about that yesterday. And then um, especially today, we're going to start exploring what is God's speed, moving at the, the pace that God goes, which is actually often a lot slower than us. Um, you may experience that. You're like, well, why is God doing this or that in my life? Well, he's, he's walking while you're running. And we're going to look at it um, a little bit today um, some more. So that's our second goal is to explore that, to try it on, to think about it. And then um, try to take this back home, to take these ideas, these things from God, God's speed um, and try to apply it and maybe alter the way we're living. And, and really to have the resources to do that. We're going to talk about that today, that God, by his spirit and his word, through the work of Christ gives us the tools, gives us the power, gives us the example of how to um, live, this, live this way more and more so. Um, and again, that's not opposed to getting things done. I, I'm actually a former engineer. I was an engineer before with a seminary. I love getting things done and being productive. But it's also doing so in a way, um, it's not just about how much you do, but it's also how you do it that matters. And, and doing the right things. So... I'll bring you all those things together. So let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into our uh, lesson today, which is really thinking about God's speed. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being here to even just slow down together and to be face-to-face with one another. Um, I'm just excited and, and, and just um, grateful to be here. And uh, we pray, Lord, that your spirit would, would guide us and give us discernment and wisdom as we think about your word, as we reflect on our own lives. We pray that you would give us wisdom and that you would help us um, to consider how we might grow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we looked at our struggle, to, or our, our speed and our struggle to live at God's speed um, a little bit uh, yesterday, but I, I just thought I'd sum it up with uh, two quotes, our struggle and two quotes. The first one is by the poet Mary Oliver, and she said, the hardest work of all is standing still and learning to be astonished. And maybe you can even feel that way <clears throat> as you're here at camp. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're in a beautiful camp. Um, you, I see a lot of you just running around a lot. I was floating in the lazy river yesterday, just being lazy. And everybody was like running through the river. And it's so easy to be in a beautiful place like this and not be able to we just really struggle or not even think about standing still and learning to be astonished at the beauty, at the goodness, at the glory of what God is, has made, and um, just where we are, and the opportunity we have to be here um, these couple days. Um, that's our struggle. But it's also this, and this is from Blaise Pascal. He was a Christian mathematician. I think he was like 1600s. Really smart guy. Um, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Don't you love that? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like death? <laughs> to some of you, that's like, some of that you that's like, yes, I love that. Some of you that's like, no, please, no, never. Um, but I think it's good to have the capacity, and it's actually a spiritual discipline to be able to be silent and, and in solitude. You know, we see Jesus often going off by on his own to pray, going off alone to be quiet. Um, we struggle to do this. 
And we've, we said a little bit yesterday, we go so fast that when we do have times of break, it's, it's really, we're kind of shell-shocked. It's kind of hard for us to slow down and be able to um, be present, even if we have stopped doing what all the different things we're doing. Um, this is a real challenge for us, to sit quietly in a room alone. So um, to enter in, we're going to watch... Um, the first little few minutes, five minutes or so of the doc, Godspeed documentary. You can watch this for free online at, if you want to write this down, livegodspeed.org. It's about 35 minutes in, in total. We're going to watch the, the first five minutes today, and we're going to watch little clips of some study guide material tomorrow. But um, we're, I'm just going to give you a taste for the story of Matt Canlis, who the story's about, um, and his, his, his uh, journey. So let me give me a second to set it up. It's on the DVD. But... Um, <clears throat> here just soak it in. they did help. I've been running for most of my life, running through life to get somewhere else. But the thing about running is that you miss things, many things. And if I kept running, I was going to miss everything. Fifteen years ago, I was finishing a seminary. I'd studied history. I'd studied Jesus. I was pretty sure I knew what I was doing. The truth is I was centuries away and miles away from what Jesus did and what I was supposed to be doing. When I was running, it was easy to stay hidden, to avoid being known. One professor knew this, Eugene Peterson. He said, Matt, if you want to become a pastor, go find a parish. Go find a fishbowl where you can't escape being numb and where you lose the fear of being numb. I think when I realized that nobody in America gets listened to very much, I was surprised at how little people had relationships. And, when I, and all I had to do was just sit there and listen. I never heard, read anything on church growth. I just started out going through the 
that's what started what I said to you. I just started looking, this is, this is my parish. He knew that if I really wanted to walk like Jesus, I had to slow down. I was like, Gene, I'm in, I'm sold. Where do I go to learn to become this kind of person, this pastor? He smiled and he said, you might have to go further than you think. You might have to leave America. <coughs> and I thought, that'll never happen. <laughs> As it happened, my wife and I were invited to study in St. Andrews in Scotland. That's when everything began to change. <laughs> this is the story of learning to walk instead of run. It's the story of the places and the people who slowed me down. It's the story of the freedom I found and the freedom that found me.
The first door I knocked on, I kind of actually did my kind of... I was nervous, and that felt friendly. And I learned that I wasn't there to give people the good news. I was there to be a part of their life. With time, questions might come out, but I ended up learning more about them and they about me than me communicating the truth they needed to hear. People are not used to being intimate in a verbal way. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. Um, we don't want to be known by name many times because we don't know they're going to like us. Who can you trust? My generation, our century, is the tourist generation. We are always on the move. And so we can avoid being known. We avoid our deepest fears of being known. I realized that this avoidance, that this way of moving and always being on the go is totally different than the way Jesus lived in the first century and the way most humans have lived for all history. So two things were happening at once. I had Eugene calling me to slow down to become a pastor. I also began reading Tom Wright. And in his writings, I discovered a whole different vision of what life was like in the first century. We live in such a ruthless world. And my wife and I have moved house, I think, 16 times in 42 years. It's a sort of complete mirror opposite of that, polar opposite of that. To think of being in that one place is the Benedictine ideal, stabilitas, stability. You are here, you stay here, and you go deeper. I witnessed this idea of stability firsthand in a nearby abbey, where the monks welcomed me on retreat as part of their community. Stability usually means staying in the same monastery all your life till you die. That's quite a challenge in our world which chases around all over the place. And trying to escape from who you are and where you are. And the secret of stability or part of stability is to realize that I am a sinner, yeah. But before that, I'm a beloved sinner. And so I'm loved by God as I am. Very quickly, you see people's faults, which I let I know. But to see people's virtues, no, it takes, it takes longer. To learn to know takes, takes time. And it's not boring. It's only boring if you lack imagination. In fact, it's fascinating because human beings are endlessly fascinating. And you learn by going deeper rather than by the relentless quest for shallow novelty, which is how our culture lives. The world I was discovering in the writings of Tom Wright exposed me to a whole different way of living, to the way that Jesus lived, especially to the way Jesus earned people's trust, how he risked being known. He lived in a fishbowl where everybody saw everything he did and heard everything he said. When we read the New Testament, we must relentlessly avoid anachronism. We mustn't imagine that they think exactly like we do to say, okay, let's go into a world where 
Actually, when you walk down the street, you know not only who everybody is, but who their uncles and cousins and aunts were, and who died last year, and who got married the year before. That's the world that Jesus lived in. It's a very rich world, it's a very dangerous world. We'd be very vulnerable in that world, and we protect ourselves against that. Stop there. Now you're intrigued. Want to keep watching? You set this up real quick. All right. So that's a little taste of God's be mass story. Kind of what we're getting at here. Just want to hear what did you guys? What stood out to you? What did you? What did you hear? What did you see in that part? Yeah. Say that again. He went to Scotland to listen and do stuff and learn stuff, even though he said he didn't go over there. Yeah. His, God kind of rewrote his, his uh, story. He's like, I'm not going to do that. And then God sent him on the story. And we get the benefit from it. You know, we don't necessarily have to go to Scotland. We can learn also from Matt. But um, what else stood out to you? What, what ca- caught your eye or caught your ear? Yeah. I really like the illustration of the fishbowl, of find uh-huh. a fishbowl and lose your fear of being known. Yeah, so, yeah, being in a fishbowl means being really close and seen and known. Um, I know some of you probably go to schools where you have hundreds of people in your class. Anybody go to really big schools? Yeah, some of you maybe go to really small schools. So maybe you know what the fishbowl is like, um, have a really small school. Um, like Gabe, I know you, you guys, you, you're really close with your group and you're nodding, who's nodding your head back there? You got a really small, really small school. Um, so you maybe know a little taste of that. Yeah, you can't run and hide in those situations. You, you, have, you have to be known. And actually consider putting ourselves in a place like that rather than running from it is actually maybe a good thing. Like I think the implied good, a bad thing is to do that, right? Like we normally think, well, that's scary and dangerous, but... We heard N.T. Wright there say, you know, this, it is dangerous, but it's also rich and beautiful. Um, but it, it takes time doing it to actually experience that. You had your hand up. What did you say? Um, it was like how, it was like, you told him just like walk. And yeah. just told him just walk. And like, yeah. was, and I didn't, like, I kind of felt like, he said, he just like, he just walks. Like when you're driving, you don't really notice Things like you see somebody and you kind of just look at them. But when you're walking, you actually like see them. See like, people. Often. See things. Have you guys felt that way at camp? I felt that way walking. I'm just noticing the, the plants and what, what, what the camp looks like and who's walking by. I don't know. I, I'm one of those people that if someone's walking by, you'll say hi to you. And you, maybe you're the person like, don't talk to me. You know? <laughs> but. Uh, I love that. I mean, we get a little try, get a little taste of it. We can actually really practice it this a lot when we're here because we are on foot. We are more face to face than we are normally, um, and we don't have cell surface either. So um, that's kind of the point of a, of a retreat, anyway. So um, we maybe got a little taste of that, and you do notice more. And that's part of what we'll be encouraging you guys to do that more and more. Anything else that stood out or kind of was really impacting you? Yeah. I noticed, like, even in like the videography of that. So it's good art because it's matching yeah. up with the theme. 
You know, when there's someone talking, it's focused on them, like cutting around a lot. But it's also showing the, the place because it's about the place and being physically there um, and, and, and embracing it. Um, do you guys hear the idea of a parish? You know, that's kind of a hard concept for us in the world we live in. I imagine that many of you live in probably suburban areas. Um, the suburbs are not designed in a parish. They're not designed for walking. They're designed for driving. And they're not designed for being close to one another. They're designed for having your own little, little pod. And so we have a structure even in our communities that keep us from actually doing, living that parish life. So it's even harder. It's made more tricky for us, you know. We live in a neighborhood where we can actually walk to a park, which is actually kind of wonderful. It gives us a little bit of, of a parish feel in our neighborhood. But, um, but there's other aspects. Like I wouldn't the, – the road right off of our neighborhood is not, like, super safe to walk around on. Like I, my, I wouldn't want my kids walking around um, some of the streets because it's dangerous to the, the driving. But um, maybe you heard a little bit of that. Well, we'll continue to, to come back to that. But I want to um, – Continue on and define a few things for us. Just kind of de- define God's people. What do we mean by this? Um, and it actually comes, you maybe have heard the, the, you know, the uh, phrase before. It's like a British phrase, Godspeed to you, good sir, or something like that. You know, it's like something you say when you're saying bye to someone or whatever. Well, it comes from the Old English, and what it means is may God flourish you. May God speed you along, flourish you, cause you to, to um, be blessed and, um, and experience wholeness and wellness and good, goodness. Um, so that's where it comes from. It, and it kind of draws, I think, connects with uh, this Hebrew idea. We hear a lot of shalom, which is this idea of peace, but also wholeness and, and um, fully orbed flourishing, all aspects of you flourishing. And so that's kind of where the, the terminology comes from originally is, you know, um, this, this wholeness, this wellness. Um, may God cause this to happen. Um, the trouble is we don't go about that in a way that really gets us there, right? Um, we think wholeness and flourishing and peace is maybe having the most connections possible, the most friends and followers possible, being in as many places as possible at any given time, the most people, the most experiences, as fast as you can, as much as you can, in a short amount of time. But does that really get us here? I would argue and, and can say from experience, no. And I think you guys... Probably agree, right? Maybe. Um, so th- there's two two aspects I will say of God's speed that we want to think about to be present where you are. That's place. So you're going to hear presence in both of them. Starts all sorts of peace. Present where you are in a place physically, spiritually, you're here. You are at Camp Alonso in Texas with me right now, with the people around you. That is where you are. You're not anywhere else. I mean, a lot of times we can think that we're all these other places, but you're here. You're limited in that. And that's also really a beautiful thing. But the second aspect is to be present to who surrounds you. Being where you are with the people you're with. You know, we saw the watch the Moby music video yesterday, and everybody's on their phones, nobody's paying attention to each other. That's a lot of the way the world works, right? Um, but what, the big part of Godspeed here is to be present to who surrounds you. Not just be located and rooted in a place but aware and engaged with the people around you, whoever they are. You may not like them. They may annoy you like crazy. They may smell funny. I don't know. Like maybe in your cabin, you're like, there's another group in there with you, and you're like, man, I really don't like them. They're annoying me because of this, this, and this, and this. Guys, I just want to warn you, that's what the church is. 
It's all these groups of people. We all come from you know, different experiences, different places, different backgrounds, different stories, different cultures. But we're in close quarters together because of Jesus. Um, it's very hard to do this. To like have, make eye contact with each other. To actually talk to the people near us. To, to care. If like somebody's having a hard time to actually care. Even if you know them or not. They'd be present with those people. So that's kind of what God's speed is um, as we define it. Um, and we mentioned this yesterday. The two things that hold us, two of the big things that hold us back from this is FOMO, the fear of missing out. <coughs> under service, we want to bring that back. Um, and uh, YOLO, you only live once. Feeling like crippled and like I've got to make the right decision right now. Um, you're, you're, you're thinking out there rather than right where you are and right where the, peop- the people in front of you. So these things can, can, can be running through our hearts and our minds. Um, you know, technology and social media can be part of it. Really, it's our hearts. That's the issue. Um, but I just wanted to do, um, oops, first a speed test. Here's us. And you heard this a little bit with Matt in the story. We normally go at 60 plus miles per hour. You know, right now, I'm not going 60 miles per hour. But in your, our heads and in our hearts, we can be going as fast as a car. We can be going as fast as the internet. You have high-speed internet. You can go in as fast as your streaming services or your gaming services, which... Move pretty rapidly. Um, so you, if you're playing a video game, you can be sitting somewhere but moving at a very high rate. This is the speed we live at all the time. Like even on our recreation, these three things are all recreation, right? When we're, surf, we're on the web, we're on social media, we're streaming movies or shows. Um, we're uh, playing a video game, which is really they're getting more and more immersive. Um, we're not moving, but we're moving very fast at the same time. That's the speed we normally go at. And then we heard a little bit from the documentary as they're exploring it. Um, Jesus, how fast does he move? How, you know, uh, this is walking speed. You can, the average person walks about three miles per hour. It's a big difference, right? And you notice it like when you're, uh, who was saying this earlier? When you're driving, you can barely notice what's around you or um, what the weather is like. The faces of people, you can't really see them. You don't have time to stop. You're not as easily able to stop and, and spend time with each other. But Jesus, by the way, this is just fun theological fact. Jesus is still physically embodied in this universe, material universe right now. Isn't that weird? Jesus took on a body and he always has it and he always will have it. He has a resurrected, perfect body unlike ours, which ours will be like that. But he is still like this. We can talk about that more. There's more to that theologically than, than what I just said. But um, he, in his whole life, he lived in this really small place and he walked everywhere. People knew him and that's why his family had such a hard time with the fact when he was starting his ministry and doing these miracles that it was, it was embarrassing to them in some regard. Because everybody knew him. That's why they say, isn't that the carpenter's son? Because I know everybody. Everybody knows each other's stories because they live so close together. He moved that speed. That's a speed test. What about passport check? Check our passports, all the places we go and move. I mean, we drove 11 hours to get here, or my group. It's far away. That's a really far away. Um, and if you imagine you had to walk that, that would have been a much greater journey in, in past societies. So we're international. How many of you guys have gone outside the country? Some of you? That's a 
most people growing up in Jesus' day would, would not leave this like, small radius, like even you know, the smaller than Scotland or just within the nation of Israel. Um, many of us have already left the country, gone to different states. You maybe have lived in multiple states. I've lived in four different states, six different states in my life, and one other country. Um, we go all the place, and, and, our, and we're disembodied. A lot of times we're, where we live at a given point is outside of ourselves, on our phone, on social media, in a game. I'm not trying to pick on these things. They're not, I'm not saying they're all bad, but a lot of times we are living not in our bodies. We're functionally living somewhere else. And, and you, we see um, pictures of this in um, different uh, movies like Ready Player One. Huge example of living in another place and that becomes so, so desirable. There's lots of other shows that have picked up on that. We often live this way. Um, but if we compare it to Jesus, he was highly local. He was limited by his body. He was limited to a place. And he chose that for our salvation. And he was in this place smaller than Scotland um, as we compare it to the documentary. This really small place. That's the comparison. So I want to take a few minutes for us to kind of like we did yesterday, kind of think along by yourself for a minute. Share with your, your pals next to you and then maybe share a little bit. Look at these, these three questions. How have you personally experienced FOMO and YOLO? Where's that showing up in your life? Um, what are your social media, gaming, and streaming habits like? What do you normally do? Um, and then where do you live right now? How long have you lived there? What par- what's your parish? You know, you're even going to get more focused. Your school might even be more so your parish, your neighborhood. Um, how many times have you moved? Maybe you've moved a lot. My mom, uh, my, my grandfather was in the Air Force. My mom moved ten times before she went to college. Maybe that's your story. Yeah, what you, what you got? I got lots of paper. All right. So let's take a minute or two and just reflect on these questions by yourself. And then in a second, I'll, we'll, we'll shift over to um, talking to your buddies. Anybody need paper? Let's draw it back together. Anything from your groups that you'd like to share about any of these questions? Anything you'd like to share from your groups about these questions? Experience of FOMO, YOLO. Any good stories out there? Sure, we got some. How many of you guys are like uh, like on Instagram? Is it like a? How many guys Snapchat? Not as much. Was, see, would you spend more time? Who spends more time on gaming than like gaming than uh, social media? Yeah. Or do you guys? It's it's all those things. So, did what about um, who spends the most time of these three uh, streaming, like watching shows and stuff? That's probably that's probably me. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, who's moved more? Has anybody moved? Uh, f- been lived in five different places, more than five different places. I mean, how many? How long you? Five times? Six. Six? Six. Six? It's a lot, y'all. Have you been in the same state or been all different states? Okay. Uh, has anybody lived in the same house their whole life? That's awesome. That's really cool. I'm, I'm jealous. That's pretty awesome. Three times? Okay. Um, so we, we, we kind of experienced that, the, the moving around a lot. Um, well, here's the big question, right? 
How do we live God's speed? It seems like maybe you're thinking, you've been thinking about this in the back of your mind. Oh my goodness, Greg, this seems really overwhelming. Because our world is, I mean, let's be honest, our world is built anti-Godspeed, right? Like we were talking about earlier, even some of our neighborhoods are built and structured physically to prevent this. You know, to be isolated, to have to drive rather than walk and be face-to-face. I mean, I, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of uh, neighborhoods are, are designed where you can just drive in, pull in your driveway, go in the garage, shut the door, not have to see anyone. You could effectively see no one. If you really wanted to, it's easy. Um, so that's how do we do this, Greg? And uh, where's the power to do this? Because if we're gonna if we're gonna attempt to live this way, because we're convinced, maybe maybe you're convinced a little bit that this might be an attractive way to go or way to way to live your life. Um, it's definitely allured me. Where's the power to do this? Because this is really hard. Well, we got a great Sunday school answer for this, right? The answer is Jesus, and Jesus saves us. He, he, he saves us and restores us and makes us new. The offering of himself as our great high priest to cleanse us of our sin, but also to offer himself as a holy sacrifice in our place, giving us his spirit to renovate us from the inside out so that we might live as he lived. He was the perfect human. He has restored humanity, and he's showing us and enabling us by his spirit, by his example, by his saving work to do this. You know, Jesus saves us, restores us, shows us, and empowers us by his spirit to live God's speed right where we are. You don't have to go find Scotland. You don't have to go to Scotland. That's the whole thing that Matt kind of learned. I know. If you want an excuse to go to Scotland, you should go. Um, here's, an ex- here's a reason. But... What Matt learned is he, he was able to bring it back, and I'm going to give a little bit of a spoiler. Eventually, he comes back to the States and pastors a church here in Washington State. Um, we can learn how to do this right here, and, and the tools that we need is we need Jesus. We need his spirit. We need his word. We need each other. We all have our own parishes. They may not look just like the ones in Scotland, but we each have our own parishes, and we're empowered by Jesus to live in that. And so to kind of give us some of the gospel motive, the gospel power to do this, I want to just think about the gospel story maybe from a different angle. Um, You may know what priests are, right? There's priests in the Old Testament. Um, I want to tell the gospel story along the lines of four different priests. So priests' job was to make offerings and sacrifices to God, to kind of intercede, to be this go-between between God and the people. And you may remember that in the Old Testament. That's... um, Aaron, the, the Levitical priests, priest, uh, the, the Levites, and they also care for the temple. You know, in the days of the tabernacle, they would have to pack it up and carry it and set it up and, you know, do all that goodness. Um, and then they would minister at the temple once they had a temple. I want to tell the story of four priests, and I hinted a little bit at this uh, yesterday, but the first priest, the failed priesthood of Adam. Adam was the first priest, arguably, in the Garden of Eden. The Eden was actually a temple. It was a temple, of, a place of worship to the Lord God. And Adam's job was to worship God to, and to care for creation, to care for the place he'd been put in. But we see that Adam desperately failed in that, or dramatically failed in that um, through his sin. Um, and because of that, he, the, 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 uh, he, was, he had to leave the temple um, and everything, everything changed. 
um, he fell short of being, of being this priest that was, uh, he was designed to be. Um, then we see uh, the limited priesthood of Levi or Aaron. So blood had to be shed to pay for sin. If you remember when Adam and Eve are leaving the garden, God kills some animals to clothe them. That's a picture of blood that needs to be shed to cover sin, foreshadowing what will need to be done um, for, uh, for Jesus coming. Jesus is the offspring of the woman who was, uh, sh- who was struck by the offspring of the serpent, but crushed the head of the serpent in Genesis 3.15. But this starts in the Old Testament. You know, there, there's, this, there's this priest, uh, this, this tribe of uh, Levi and, and, then Aaron, and Aaron that um, are responsible for interceding for the people. There's this whole elaborate setup to show that God is holy and the people are not. And there needs to be bloodshed for us to be close. Um, this is a priesthood that is limited. It's, it's a picture of what is to come. It's not in its fullness. The greater priesthood is the priesthood of Christ. Um, you guys remember maybe in the Gospels where Jesus says that I, I'm going to destroy, the, this temple will be destroyed in three days, it will be rebuilt. And John in, in uh, John 2.21 says, makes a side comment and says he was referring to his body. Because he was, his, his, he was crucified and then he, was, he rose from the dead. So he did rebuild it. Jesus in his own body becomes a new priest offering, making offering to God in his own body in a new temple. Bringing restoration uh, to the people. So what Adam failed to do, Jesus did perfectly. Because this is the thing the priest was required to do. Everything specifically as God commanded. And what we're told about Jesus is he did everything that was pleasing to his father throughout his whole life. And that obedience culminated in his going to the cross. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Taking on that suffering, taking on that shame all the way. And we see that he was glorified and exalted in his resurrection because he was obedient up to the point of death. And that is what it gives to us. We become priests to God. And we're going to look at this in in, in a little more detail. Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 6 says that, our bodies are temples to the Lord, and we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We become the new temple, like Jesus. We make offerings to God in the way we live, where we are as priests. And in Revelation, we're called a kingdom. The, the people that are worshiping before the throne of, of Christ at the end of all time is, is called um, a kingdom of priests. We all are enter into this through Jesus. We are restored to become priests to God, making offerings where we are in our own little parish with the people we're around. I want to zoom in a little bit on the priesthood of Christ. Jesus, we're told, grew. He, um, he had to grow up just like you and me. He had to learn the Bible. Um, he grew in knowledge and wisdom and stature before God and men. As a teen, we're told in Luke 2. Um, Jesus was also born, we're told, was born at the right time, born of woman, born under the law like us to redeem us from the curse of the law, that we might be set free. That's what Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 4 through 7. That's hinting at his obedience, like I mentioned. And in Hebrews, this is where we see a ton of this. The whole priest theme is, is big time in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, um, as well as chapters 7 through 10, that Jesus... Once and for all in his own body was, he was not only the priest, but he was also the sacrifice. 
And he did that on our behalf. And in Romans 5, Paul refers to Christ as the second Adam. He's the priest who comes and stands in. Just as one man's sin brought death to all men, so through one man's obedience, Jesus, all live. Jesus is the second Adam. He's the better priest. And in Ephesians 1 through uh, 7 through 10, we're, we're told how through his priestly work, he's uniting all things in himself, all people and all places. He's bringing fullness. He's bringing shalom. He's bringing Godspeed, full, true humanity, and even us by his spirit. So you guys can dig into these passages later, but this is some of where we see um, Jesus um, in his priesthood. But how does that come to us? Priesthood of all believers. We are called a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, as Peter says. We are brought into this. We were not a people, now we are a people. We've been shown mercy when we had not been shown mercy. And we become uh, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. Serving Him, holy to the Lord, where we are. Where we get to um, unearth holiness in the places He's put us as those priests making offerings. Paul does something weird. He says that our bodies, us ourselves, physically, we are living sacrifices. Because Christ has saved us, we belong to him. And so through our very selves, we make those offerings in our life to him. And it's a pleasing offering like a priest. We are priests in the way we offer ourselves where we are to the glory of Jesus. And um, in Jeremiah, this is, um, the people are in exile. They're sent away. This is back in the Old Testament. But God gives them this command to seek the welfare of the city you're in, that you will find your welfare in the welfare of the city you're in. So that tells us that's something we can learn from where we are. You're placed in a particular place. You're in a neighborhood. You're in a school. You're in a family. You're in a town. For a reason. And you will find your own welfare by seeking the welfare of the place you're in, the people around you, even if they, you don't like them, even if they don't believe the same things you believe. Because your welfare is wrapped up and tied up in, in theirs. You become a priest to make offerings to be there as a, um, a faithful presence among them. We are called to do this. I just zoomed through a lot there, right? Any questions about that? I have one more thing for us, but I just I want to I want to slow down Godspeed, right? And see if, if there's anything you have questions about or, or want to process there. So this is how we ha- we are able to do it, right? That's the big question. How do we live God's good? We, before we, I'm going to get more practical tomorrow about like kind of little things to do, but you can't do that if you don't have this. And that's kind of what we're talking about in the evenings here is if, if you do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you're not going to be empowered to live this way. And the way we have the Holy Spirit is if we belong to Jesus. And the way that we belong to Jesus is that we sought peace with God through him. Our sin stands in the way, but Jesus has offered himself as our priest making atonement for our sin, paying for it, but also he was righteous for us. That's the part we can't forget. Jesus was enough so that you are considered enough before God. We receive that by faith and he gives us a spirit to make us new, to renovate us like a house that's nasty and yucky, like on Fixer Upper, 
to make us this brand new house where we are to live God's speed. That's the power to do this. And so if you haven't, if you're, if you're, if you're drawn to this idea of God's speed, but you're not, you haven't trusted in Jesus, you're not walking with him, I would encourage you to really consider these things. Consider the gospel. Believe. And this is some of the fruit that grows out of it, Lord willing. All right, I want to do something a little, y'all are okay doing something a little weird with me? Yeah? Like weird stuff? All right, so um, we're going to practice something. Um, what's up, dude? We're not, yeah. Want to join us? All right. So um, what I want you all to do is I want you all to sit up straight like this. All right. Back straight. Feet flat on the ground. Okay? Put your hands right here on your legs. And what I want you all to do is um, we're going to just do some, take some deep breaths, Okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to listen to a song, and we're going to close our eyes after we kind of, kind of calm ourselves down a little bit. And we're going to use this song to kind of be a prayer, a prayer for us. And this song has two parts, okay? The first part is kind of along the lines of the greatest commandment, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the last part of the song is kind of like Genesis 3, where uh, here I am, Lord, I am yours. We're hiding from God like Adam and Eve. We're saying, no, Lord, I belong to you. So... I know we're being weird together. This is fun, right? Okay. So we got our hands here. So just we're going to take a deep breath. We're going to in through the mouth, out through the nose. Ready? I think I got that backwards. Go in through the nose, out through the mouth. Okay. Think of the backwards. It's not a race. So just, just kind of have like eyes open, kind of soft focus, kind of blurry. Into the nose, out of the mouth. Kind of relaxing the body. These are loud breathers. All right, on the next inhale, I want you to slowly close your eyes. Breathe out. Keep breathing deeply. Body's still, don't, not moving. You can feel the weight of your body in the seat. Your hands on your, on, your, on your legs. Keep the deep breaths, eyes closed. Okay, keep doing that. I'm going to play our song for our prayer. And just keep your eyes closed and still while you're listening. Every place.
before you get up, I just want you to sit there for a second, open your, slowly open your eyes, and just reflect a little bit on what you're thinking and feeling. And just being still before the Lord and being present before Him, being present before each other. Being thankful, slowing down, not moving, but being present. Our Father, we thank you that even in this still place, you are here, and that we can meet with you, that you long to be with us, that you delight in us as your children. And we thank you for this time to slow down a little bit and to hopefully find some hope and power to live Godspeed. We pray that you'd help us to practice that this week and to take some of it home, that you would give us grace to do that, that you'd help us to be more attentive to where we are and who we're with. We pray this in Jesus' name.